Today is uh, Sunday, uh, November 28th, uh, 2021, Erev Hanukkah, and uh, once again we're under siege. Uh, the news is so depressing and uh, suddenly people are waking up. My wife, my daughter, everyone thinks this is never going to end. I say, how can it end? Rebunish is mad at the world for very valid reasons. And he promised there'd never be a total flood, but uh, I don't want to go further. And I don't see China doing any tribute. It should begin in China that they acknowledge there's a God. Come back to the human race. And uh, we have our problems with the retrogressives. And uh, God have mercy. I just read today, uh, Sunheim, if I have his name right, the music writer wrote, and I read his uh, part of his obituary, and uh, then it says his husband survives him. God have mercy, and this is a Jew, and another Jew, and a third Jew. And what we have here, God have mercy on us. All right, we good Jews have to be better than ever. We have to be tzaddike yesod olam, that rebunish lalim should have mercy on us. That's all. Okay, now, going back, a student sent me uh, that uh, the, the whole question of the goyim, and uh, this was sent to me months ago, but got lost in cyberspace. And it reached me an article by Rav Yosef Elio Henkin. And uh, by the way, when you send me something, tell me where it appears. There's no, uh, I don't know where this appeared, if this is Hamar. It's not Hapades, as far as I can tell by the print. But it's an article about Kate Sayamin, and he writes here about Jews and Gentiles, and his attitude towards the Gentiles is 100% more respectful than Rav Menashe Klein. He wrote, and, and he goes on to declare them that most Gentiles have a din of a ger toshav. So I wrote back to the student, I believe correctly so, that all you have to do is compare Rav Henkin's life and the life of Rav Menashe Klein. Rav Henkin reached America, I, I think, before World War I. I know that uh, in World War I already he was active in Ezra's Terah. Rav Klein went through the nightmare of the camps and the death camps and the crematoriums. So I can understand exactly where Rav Henkin is coming from and exactly from where Rav Menashe Klein is coming from. Rav Henkin's own children went to university here. One son became a world famous, the Hamilton Fish Professor of International Law at Columbia University. And uh, all his sons and daughter, I, I knew his daughter, as a matter of fact, his daughter was married to a hung Weber, who got out of Hungary, as I recall, in 56, and uh, married Rav Henkin's daughter, and they catered, they were caterers at Yeshiva University, the, the cafeteria, I mean, I don't know if anyone here remembers this before your time, but Weber caterers, and they were all Ureyim Vishlemim, and agree. I don't have to tell you. Mr. The, Weber. Mr. Weber, right, you remember him? And the, the grandchildren, so the old timers here remember, and the grandchildren here, so Baruch Hashem, what, what Rav Menashe Klein went through, Hashem Yerachem. Okay. Um, regarding uh, the, the, Russia and all that happened last week, so uh, J Jack, of course, uh, asked the question that I've been asked a thousand times over. Is Putin really uh, pro-Jews? 
And you have to understand, on a personal level, Putin is more pro-Jewish than, than I would say, uh, Biden and maybe even Trump. Uh, Trump knows a little bit because he knows he can't call his daughter on Shabbos. Putin actually uh, sat with someone who studied Tanakh and Gemara every Shabbos and Putin looked up to him and he, the, the feeling is there. On an international level, Russia comes first. On the other hand, they have to say, uh, I don't want to say it publicly and I don't have any real insight, but if you know, see what's going on in Syria and the Israeli ability to uh, do what they have to do, there's no doubt in my mind that there's acquiescence from Putin and uh, the Russians want to see Israel survive and thrive, not the opposite. Okay, so that's all I can say. Regarding street maps of Russia, how did we get maps of Russia? We got the maps in Germany. In Germany, they published good street maps. I still have my original Moscow street map, my Leningrad street map. And there, there was great detail. In Russia, tourists could not get something like that in the English language, or the German language for that matter. So that's what I refer to, a lack of street maps. The family I mentioned um, the story with Raf Kahana and uh, the fellow from uh, Toronto who's no longer alive breaks the heart. Uh, the whole world I knew is uh, 80% gone already. And even my students, God, God should be kind to us, but we don't live forever and we have to, the Lebedekadavkein Vaita, we have to continue and do good. So uh, his name was Michael Gruda. And he's the wise guy on the bus that told Rabbi Kahana, if you propose a girl to me, I'll marry her. And Kachaba, he proposed Helena Fuchs, later becomes Ilana Gruda. And uh, it's, it was a very happy, wonderful marriage. Mer Hashem children, many children. And it's just an Ud Mutsau Me'esh. So I trust with that, uh, I, I've answered the, all the questions I've got. People are very upset with Reb David Yosef and some of his public comments, the chief rabbi. And uh, you have to live with the Yosef family. They, uh, Reb Yosef was the greatest gone I know. His knowledge was unbelievable. Photographic that They say he knew 20,000 Svarim by heart. I can testify he knew Shas and Rambam by heart. That I can tell you because I once edited a tshuva that he wrote to Rabbi Koopman Michala. It was later published, but Rabbi Koopman's name was left out, and Yabia Omer. And I can tell you at times I found a noun and a verb in a different place, and then I realized he was writing everything by heart. He didn't hold the text in front of him. He was, knew all of Shnas by heart, Rambam by heart. They say 20,000 Sfarim. But you have to tolerate the, to go into the story of the Sfadim and the Ashkenazim, what's going on in Israel. That would, could be a seven-year course trying to understand contemporary Israel. We'll leave it for others and some other time. Now, coming back here to this uh, question of uh, smoking. So, there's no question that when you look at the Rambam, and I'll come back to the Rambam again. Uh, there's no question that if something could really be proven that it's totally bad, you would not be allowed to smoke. And look into Hilchat Dayat. We quoted Hilchat Dayat last time. I'm quoting now Perik Dalet, Halacha Tet. 
And the Rambam says, Yesh macholet shechim ra'im biyoter at ma'od b'ru'i l'adam shelo le'ochal la'olam. And there, there's certain things that just are so bad that you shouldn't eat it at all. And he uses, and he gives examples here. Uh, we spoke about this uh, uh, old type of cheese, uh, mushrooms, and mushrooms is an interesting story. Until today, there are mushrooms that are poisonous. And uh, yet in Israel, I remember when we first came in Aliyah, there were no mushrooms available for sale here. And when we would go back, uh, when I started getting involved with Russian Jewry, I had to travel and be back in America at least once or twice a year. So I remember we would buy mushrooms, oh, so wonderful, good. Today, the mushrooms they sell in Israel are a thousand times better than anything you can taste anywhere else, at least in the United States. But, but those who grow mushrooms, I understand it's a very big business, they export to Europe. You have to know to differentiate between good mushrooms and bad mushrooms. And there's one of the most beautiful stories ever that Rav Gustman, Zeichat Tzadik Levracha, the Rosh Hashiva of Netzach, I've had many students over the generations who actually studied with him. I actually spoke with him a few times as well. Uh, I can tell you stories, but we'll leave it for another time. But Rav Yisrael Gutman, Gustman was a very, I mean, an unbelievable figure. He, he, uh, he was a, a gonadir as far as the Litvisha method of learning photographic memory, and he went through the hell of the Holocaust. All of you know what Ruff Gustman suffered. And uh, he tells a story uh, that it's, it, there's a biography of him. It came out in Hebrew, came out in English. It's an, it's an interesting biography and an honest biography. And it, he tells a story that one time in the late 30s, he went to visit Reb Chaim He was on the Beitin. Reb Chaim was appointed to the Beitin, took his father's place. He was all of 23 or 24. I mean, that's what a goni was, the Beitin of Vilnizak. We're not talking about the Beitin of Maplewood, New Jersey. And uh, so he went to visit Reb Chaim in his dachik was during the summer. Paimaisa was away and uh, breathing good air. I believe it was outside of Poland, Warsaw, maybe Otvex, but And then they went for a walk together. And while they're going for a walk, Paimaisa starts showing him mushrooms. And he shows him, these you can eat, these you can't touch. These you can eat, these you can't do it. And, and, and Rav Gustman wondered why Rav Paimaisa is showing him this. And of course, during the Holocaust, when he lived in the forest, fought with the partisans, he said, I now understood what my Rebbe was showing me. He says, these mushrooms that I knew were good kept me alive during the dark days. So the Rambam is absolutely right that there are mushrooms that are poisonous. And he goes on and on, uh, poison food that has a bad smell or very bitter. And these type of items... That this, these items are really poison. You can't allow them into your system. So you see, Rabbi Nasha Klein here, right away he's willing to say, yes, this is poison and, and, and it could be we absolutely can't permit it and it could be it totally harms you. But he says, 
I'm not positive. I can't say he paskins la halacha that he puts it this way that the Rambam himself says lo asur laochlam he quotes the Rambam, the Lushan we just read, and he's being medayek in the Rambam. Is, is he being medayek correctly or not? I don't know. And we'll see from the next trivia he wrote, perhaps there's a much deeper reason why he's being medayek, why he interprets the Rambam this way. But he's saying the Rambam didn't say clearly, absolutely, you cannot eat. The Rambam said it's better not to to eat. So that's the way he paskins. He doesn't give a black and white no, but better not to. What he does say here is that if your father asks you for cigarettes, you're absolutely allowed to give them to him. And here you come to the whole question, I mean, there are endless sources, it's not for now, but this prohibition only applies if the person you're giving the cigarettes to could not get them anywhere else. Trey of Rehanahar, paraphrasing the Gemara. He's on one side of the river, you're and, and the cigarettes are on another side of the river, and it's only because you're giving it to him that he has the cigarettes. But here, there's no lifnei either. Why? For one simple reason, if you don't give it to him, he'll go to the store and buy cigarettes. What's the big deal? Uh, in, in Israel, I don't think cigarettes are stoled all over. I think they, uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, all I know is that all the big uh, supermarkets uh, sell cigarettes. You have to come up to a special counter in Rami Levy. I, and I see thousands of boxes of cigarettes piled up. And you, and you have to ask for it, and they give you what you want. The bottom line is there's no lift naive because your father will get out of the house and ask someone else to go. You're, not, you're supplying it to him is not the only way he can get them. So he says, halacha lift naive would not apply. All right, this question of naive haunts us, and we've spoken about it so many times, and it's uh, a question I wrote to Reb Meisha, and I never got an answer, because I think by the time I asked the question, it was, had political overtones, and Rav Meishu was not independent. It was not the 1950s that no one opened his mail. This was during the 70s, and his uh, grandson, who had opened the mail, just uh, put my question into the circular file. And the question is very simple. Someone stops their car on Shabbos and asks you directions. What do you do? No one stops the Jews driving a car, you know. When when uh, when when my grandchildren were growing up in Hanof and they came to my house for Shabbos, they couldn't believe we would sit in the terrace. They'd see cars running on Shabbos. So my wife told them, ah, it's only Arabs. But uh, here a Jew stops you and you see he's a Jew. Do you give them directions or not? Is it a lift naive and you're telling him how to go? All right, and this I told you, uh, the uh, Reb uh, uh, did not answer me, uh, and I did get an answer from Aaron Lichtenstein. Told me yes, Rebaran, Rebaran, we call Rebaran in your presence. But Aaron told me that he asked the Rav the question, and he had a machlekes with the Rav. What was the machlekes? The Rav told him, or the Rav may have told me. It could be I asked the question, and I think I told Aaron afterwards. The Rav told me 
give him the most direct directions you can. He shouldn't drive an extra minute. Because the ref said he's going to drive anyway. And if you don't give him directions, he's going to wander and wind up driving, doing Yisrum the writer another five minutes. Aaron said, he holds his Messiah, that you should say you don't know, just answer you don't know, you don't live in the neighborhood, but it's a very, very delicate question. I can see the Rav's point of view, I can see Rebaran's point of view. Okay, so this, this is what he paskins here, the halacha. He deals with it again. He does it in a number of places, but he deals with it again much later. And in this tshuva, we hit upon, uh, 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 I would say, an overtone that haunts us, and we can't escape it. And this is Jack Levenstein was, I don't know if he realized it, but he was referring to this, to this concept, and we'll touch upon it. It's not, not a simple concept to deal with, because there's no black and white answer. Okay. Chelek Tetzayin, Mishnah Halacha, Chelek Tetzayin, Siman Yud Zayin. And what's fascinating here is what I've told you. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, you know, the world of titles. Uh, maybe, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, if I'm an exception, but... Uh, I don't use any titles. I, I say to myself, if the Rav didn't use titles, who the heck am I to use titles? You know, the Rav stationery. Look it up in the first volume of my work on the Rav. You'll see the letter he wrote to me. Joseph B. Soloveitchik, or Joseph Soloveitchik. That's all. So, but in the Haredi world, it seems titles play a big role and people get offended. So he's writing... This tshuva, by the way, is from 1995. It's much later than the original tshuva. He's writing to someone called Avraham Halevi Kalka. And uh, he writes to him, I can't believe my eyes, uh, I don't know how to refer to you. Are you a rab, a rosh yeshiva, or just a bacha? You follow? And he apologizes. And, and you can't believe what he writes there. Ulechain yehei shmei mevorach v'yakabel hakavod haraulo. All right, you follow me, Elliot? It's it's a different way of thinking. Uh, believe me, I I'm very careful if I meet someone from this world, kavod harav, kavod harav, and I speak Hebrew in plural, you know, kavod harav shamati le. Etc., etc. It's considered more So he says, All right, you asked me the question about cigarettes, and uh, uh, he, he, he says, And if people are matia, if, if the Menashe Mishnah Halachat is matia, uh, what's the reason you are Matya? And he says here, you're absolutely right, most doctors say it's harmful for health. And here comes the point. But he says to him, I saw Gidoli Elam smoking. And uh, now you come to a very delicate question. You look up to your Rebbe. Does your Rebbe ever sin? Would your Rebbe sin in public? 
What a question. And, and now, you know, the Litvisha world, I have to be honest with you. I grew up in the Litvisha world, and I greatly researched the real Litvisha world. And there's no question that we Litvakin have a critical sense. We, uh, we don't follow anyone blindly. What happened with Rabarin Cutler in Hebron Yeshiva in 1953 could never happen in a Hasidic context. Zach, what happened? Orange shine, shine upon us. What happened in 53? What, you haven't spent 49 years listening to my shayur? I told this story many times over the last 62 years. Very simple. Rabarin came to Israel for the first time. His father-in-law had died, Ravisa Zalman Melsa. Rabarin was elected the titular Rosh Yeshiva of Eitzchayim. He came to give Sheyurim that summer. He didn't come during the year. During the year was in Lakewood, but he came during the summer. All right? So Rabarin is giving his shear, and he went there. Rabarin, they made a big thing. Rabarin is here. So he went to Hebron. Gave Shir in Yeshiva at Hebron. Hebron wasn't down the block then. It was right near Kika Shabbat, a block away basically from Kika Shabbat. There's still a Yeshiva there, a north shoot of Hebron. So Rabban is giving Shir, and a very well known Hebron Talmud at that time is sitting and his feet are on the table, totally relaxed. And Rabban shouts at him, Zitzman, this is the way you sit? This is respect of Torah? And he shouts back at Rabarin, the Rosh Yeshiva, the Kletzka Rosh Yeshiva, you can't learn it in. But the Chapki gave him Kavit If the Kletzka Rosh Yeshiva had to learn, I would be Machabit. And he shoots a Rambam at Rabarin that destroys the Shia. Got it? All right. After the Shia, Rabarin invited him to come to America and marry his daughter, which he did, and it turned into a, not the most fortunate of marriages, because it was apples and oranges, if you understand what I'm saying. But uh, the story is legendary, and the story is absolutely true. There's a similar story with the Rav and Rav Gorin. Uh, these, sto- these stories could not happen, could not happen in the Hasidic world. But even in the Litvisha world, uh, I come back now to what I wrote in Washington, and this is the heart of it. This is the heart. I just wrote a letter and said a Talmud asked me if he could become my Talmud. He listens. I said, I'm happy to have more Talmudim. It's the secret of our survival. So there's no question a Rebbe, a role model, we're learning in Lakewood. No, what's the story, Mark? You read Washington. Do you know it by heart or you just read it superficially? No, you got to hurry, but Washington's not a simple volume. You got to see what's between the lines. So uh, we're learning in Lakewood, and it's the summer. Lakewood is 10 degrees hotter than New York. So if you're sweating in New York, you can imagine in Lakewood. Now, in Lakewood, Everyone dabbing with a jacket, right? Like you see here in the uh, Hasidic world. I'm, I'm not certain it's like that in everyone today. But uh, everyone dabbing with a jacket. So you wear a jacket, it's hot. It's, uh, so we came up with the idea to fling the jacket on our shoulder. 
And we want to ask the Baron if it's mutter to go out like that on Shabbat, the question of Hotzav, carrying. You're not wearing the jacket properly. You're flinging it over your shoulders. So the older fellas were afraid to ask the Baron. But a young guy, I was maybe 16, 17. I'm an idiot. When you're a youngster, you don't have seichel. So I had no fear of anyone. I said, I'll ask the Rosh Yeshiva. Oh, I'll never forget. I went over to Rabban Rebbe, I better speak English, but it's hard for me because I'm living it in Yiddish. I said, Rebbe, I have a different shayla for you. First, what's is the shayla? What's the shayla? And I told him, and Rabban said he didn't quote not a Shulchan Aruch, not a Ramah, not a Magan Avram, not a Taz, didn't quote any sources. He said, Avada Dafta Saimut, it certainly has to be permissible. Why? Because we dressed like this Shabbos in Slabatka. And the outer, meaning Reb Natan Finkel Tamashkiach, and the Rashi Shiva, Lazy Yehuda Finkel, Habanisht Angamekt, and they didn't correct us, didn't tell us anything, didn't comment. And they saw the way we were walking, and that was the greatest sign you're allowed to do this on Shabbos. And this is the secret of Torah. And, and if Rabarin told us that, that Paskin Lahalacha, we went with our jackets uh, flung over our shoulders. Gedole, Gedole, Oilem. Saw Rabarin Kotler when he was just a kid, and Rebekah Kamenetsky when they were just kids, walking like that on Shabbos. So you see, you see Gedole Yisrael smoking. How can you asa? Now, Take this to the Hasidic world. We had a critical sense, uh, at times slightly cynical, okay? Take this to the Hasidic world. You'll hear my lectures tomorrow. I want to start uh, going, to the, going, through the, going to the Satmar in depth to try to understand who he was, how he became what he was, the environment around him you'll see the way Hasidim relate to a Rebbe. There already there's no critical sense, there's no cynicism. If the Rebbe goes like this, it has to be mutas. The Rebbe tans, 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 you all know that. The Rebbe dances, all the Hasidim dance. It, 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 you couldn't conceive of any shortcoming of the Rebbe. And this is exactly Reb Menashe Klein's problem. How can you asa something where his own Rebbeim, Gedole, Gedole, Gedole Yisrael, all smoked? You know how much literature there is? Are you allowed to smoke on Yantef? Dava Shavalachal Nefesh, the whole Sugir and Beitzer, etc. But there was never a question, you're allowed to smoke. The question was on Yontif if you're allowed to smoke. Is it like Achille, like Shtir, etc.? Ah, wow. He has a tremendous problem. Not only him, but Moshe Feinstein. And this leads us back to what we referred to last week. Do we follow Talmudic understanding? or the reality of medicine in the year 2022? And this is a, a real question. Now, c can we say we know how dangerous smoking is? 
once we know how dangerous smoking is, how can we smoke? Ah, this Rebbe smoked, and that Rebbe smoked, and there are endless pictures of Gedole Yisrael smoking. So you'll say, they didn't know better. They were limited by the knowledge of their times. Ah, and here you already get involved in the whole question. What about the Chamor of Pinchas Ben Yair? who wouldn't eat anything that was tevel, remember? And and it's a Gemara, it's a, it's a Medrash, it's, it's well, it's basic to our thinking. And and here you're going to say Tzadike Elyon smoked and it's something forbidden. And this is the real problem. This is what haunts the poskim who yet saw G'daylim smoking. And I can tell you, I write about it in uh, Washington, but I'm mean, an eyewitness. Reb Mendel Zaks would come in every semester to test every boy in yeshiva's Rebzitzkel Chanan and give him a grade. Mental socks, and you can imagine that. Then the yeshiva was one unit. It began high MTA first year all the way through Smith. It was one unit. There was no concept of MTA, yeshiva college, reads. Reads was one unit that began when you were 13 years old and entered the yeshiva, and you graduated reads if you wish to get smicha. You graduated uh, 10, 11, 12 years later, depending on. Uh, your abilities in the program at the time. When I came into the yeshiva, it was twelve. It was uh, four years high school, four years college, two years. It was ten years later. Then they made it eleven years. That way, I understand it's twelve years. Four years after college. Am I right? What's that? What, what's the program today? Still. still eleven. Okay, I hope so. I mean, learning is a lifetime procedure. All that smicha can say is that you have the ability to learn. Maybe you become a Talmud Chacham if you don't let the rabbinate constrain all your time with minor matters and you know you must devote yourself to major matters. So uh, could you imagine when Medlzak comes in and here I am, a 13, 14 year old kid, shaking the Chafetz Chaim son-in-law, Ratna Rashi Shiva, Rabbi Belkin's Rebbe in Ratna, and he comes in to give a bechina. And the first thing he does when he sits down, he breaks a cigarette in half. And then he smokes half the cigarette. And it comes all the way down. You want to tell him, Rebbe, the fire is burning your fingers. That His nails, his flesh, was so hot from the smoking, he didn't even feel it. And I heard other stories about Adigadole Israel, this exact same story. So how can I say... Smoking is asa. You understand? This is a real psychological, emotional, sociological problem. Halachically, it's a very minor problem. Halachically, anyone who smokes today is a rotten, vicious, malicious, hideous, heinous, ruthless, depraved, degenerate, about surreptitious sinner. Period. No question about it. I, this guy will say, Rebbe, what about what you told us and you wrote about Reb Mendel Zanz? The answer is simple. 
Reb Mendel's locks grew up a hundred years ago when they didn't know what we know today. Today we know much more and it's absolutely forbidden. And I'll say to the person, do you go along with medical advice of today or do you put a chicken on your stomach like the Gemara talks about what to do for this ailment and that ailment? By the way, research has been done. Everything the Gemara said makes sense. I've, I've seen already a lot of it. It was done in Germany, Jews College in England, when it was on a high academic level. Research was done. The Gemara was fabulous. But a thousand years later, we know so much more. 1,500 years later, we know so much more. And, and this is the challenge to understand what was mutta for our rabbeim was not that the world was different. Our knowledge was incomplete. Whoever dreamt we could do kidney transplants, heart transplants, just think for a moment. Okay, this is the problem of Rabbi Nasha Klein. I don't have that problem. The Rav didn't smoke. Rav David Lipschitz didn't smoke. Rav Lesson didn't smoke. Rabbi Mendel Zaks, who went through the part of the hell of the Holocaust till he got out, till Rabbi Revel saved him, till he got the non-quota immigrant visa, oh my, and, and he didn't have a life, a bed of roses to be Rosh Hashiva. No, no, Rabbi Revel brought him to America. Yeah, of course, Rabbi Belkin later gives him a job, but uh, when, when Rav Zaks uh, is desperate to come to America, it's Rabbi Revel that he writes to, of course, of course. I reproduced part of the letter in, 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 in the Revel. What year was that? Uh, 39, 40. He wrote once, he wrote twice. It wasn't simple, and then he had to deal with the State Department. Reb Shmuel Belkin gave his Rebbe a job in the yeshiva, saved him Panasso-wise later, but that was 1945. That was later. Uh, and I, I have the documents, and I write about it in Revel, and I, actually now I wrote, a, I wrote about it again, quoting my work in Revel, and then I went on to Reb Shmuel Belkin, and I have a long footnote showing that the year 1945 is correct, because I don't want to be in a position where Akefe comes along and says 45, and Six other people wrote 46. The six other people about 46, they all copied the first one. And the first one made the usual mistake. Tashav, the Hebrew date, is 45, 46. You don't begin teaching in September. What's this bang I hear? It's not the microphone? It's, uh, it's, it's okay. So, I, it's just like a random... I hope you're yeah. right, because uh, I, I don't want people so complaining that they're not the hearing right. Okay. It's towards the end of Re Revel's life. Right. right, at the very end. That's part of what Revel, what killed Rabbi Revel was all the heartache of all the requests he got, Hitler and the, ugh, we finish What my cousin went through, but that's a Jew, you don't have a choice. Okay, so this explains, and he says... And, and, and he says, I find it hard, I can't come out with an absolute psak that it's forbidden. And it's like Maiserav, he's bringing examples from the greatest Rabbanim. 
and we see that they smoked. Now, now he raises another issue, and here I have to tell you he's right on. And uh, the older you get, the more you understand this. Raises another issue. Medicine. We take medicine. Uh, Zach, you're a youngster. Baruch Hashem. Occasionally you take an Advil, an aspirin, whatever they call it today. But the more serious illnesses you take medicine, you go through medical procedures, they are good and they are bad. There's no better example than chemotherapy. They want to get rid of the cancer. But from getting rid of the cancer, they kill many good cells as well. You get involved with any illness beyond the simple cold. Kupat Cholim provides the medicine. Read the instructions. Read the lists of the side effects. Read what they tell you. And if this happens and that happens, stop taking the medicine immediately, consult your doctor, etc. No? Elliot, what do you say? We should stop taking medicine? So Ramanasha Klein, I tell you, I, the man understands the ballpark. You'll see. He talks about the cancer medicines, etc. He says cigarettes are bad, harmful. For some people, they're very important. It calms the nerves. And uh, he, he describes that, uh, I'm, I'm quoting him, that he says, Mitzad Echad, it's dangerous. But Mitzad Sheni, there are people who can't move their bowels without smoking. Smoke calms them. I mean, these are problems. You grow older. Uh, I, you, you wake up during the night. You have to go to the bathroom two, three times. Remember when I first asked the doctor, he's no longer alive. And maybe he wasn't functioning. He died of a brain tumor. So remember he said to me, you can wake up four times, five times, six times. <laughs> Scared the hell out of me. But uh, today the doctors will say to you, we can give you medicine. And I always answer, thank God I go back to sleep. Don't want more medicine. And they look at me, they say, you know, Rabaran, you're right. Less medicine, healthier. You understand? Everywhere. The doctors understand this. So he says here, that, that people can't start to have a smoke before they sit down to eat. It calms their nerves. Other people on a diet, and here you get involved, the whole problem, is it good to be fat? Is it good to be skinny? Where do, where, where do we draw the line? Is it good to be in the middle? And the research, I tell you, I'm not a big... Uh, uh, you can spend days upon days going to the computer and punching in questions like this. Hey, will you get material and papers and research? When it's all over, you're totally confused. Is it good to be skinny? Skinny is wonderful. They say less heart problems. On the other hand, you're skinny, you fall. You get older, you break your bones. You're fat and you fall. Not always do you break the bones. I mean, you can go on and on with examples like this. So he says 
that some people have to smoke when they're on a diet. They're eating less. When I'm on a diet, I smoke, I, I, I not smoke, I suck sugarless candies. Sugarless candies, I don't know, I, I, I'm not hungry, but, but they have to smoke. And he says, see if, if any control, maybe that one, the general one, should be turned down a little, because it doesn't make sense banging, uh, shooting. Uh, um, uh, no, here it's all right. I'm, I'm worried from the microphone. There's one that makes it louder, which leave, leave. Microphone one. See the other one, if it should be turned down a drop, that it affects the loudness. Uh, did you turn it down? Okay, so leave it. I'm, I, I'm okay. Never a dull moment. Yomo is not here today, so we're dealing without our resident technician and depending upon someone who has a degree in the field, <laughs> except he got the degree uh, when all this technology was not yet invented. And, and, he, and he speaks about, he, uh, again, now he comes to rice. He starts talking about rice, that there are certain things that are considered healthy, and yet if you eat too much of it, it's not healthy. And here we come to the old story, uh, which again is fascinating. Many decades ago, um, I had a student uh, who became a very famous medical doctor. Maybe you know him, uh, Shragai Kaslow, uh, Phil Kaslow, Dr. Kaslow. You, you, you know him, Mark, okay. He graduated Yeshiva College, what was it, 76, 77? In my year. In your, uh, what, what year, 76? 76. He was your classmate. All right, my memory's not bad. And um, so I remember we once asked him, uh, when uh, you're, you're constipated, what should you eat? So he told us, brat, banana, rice, apple, and tea. I looked up when I was preparing this lecture, I looked up bread on the computer, banana, rice, applesauce, and toast. But you see, this is very good for the body. But if you eat rice all the time, it's not that good. And, and, and he gives example after example, or as he talks about rice in particular, then he deals with antibiotics. The old story with antibiotics, you take too many, people, doctors at one point used to prescribe antibiotics wholesale. The mentality of the doctors was, if you come to a doctor, you're going to be disappointed if he doesn't give you a medicine. The roundup is they found too many antibiotics harms the body, the body gets used to it, the antibiotic is not successful. And I don't have to tell you, if any of you have ever been on a 10-day antibiotic uh, regimen, you, you get so tired, you're so weak, that uh, sometimes you say to yourself, why did I ever take this antibiotics? Like, All right, sometimes you must take antibiotics. But, and then he goes into cancer, the radiation. He says, he, he says that, that people who have this terrible machla, and he's talking about radiation and chemotherapy and, and he's making the point that we have many things in life that are good and bad at the same time. 
and we cannot say it's totally forbidden. For some people, it could be smoking outweighs the bad. Again, you're dealing here, the word, there's a French word, triage. And we can't escape that. That's what, that's what medicine is all about. That's what governments are all about. There's a limited amount of money for hospitals. This is why the Israeli government spends a fortune of money publishing ads, very powerful ads. Smoking is horrible. Smoking is detrimental. Smoking kills you. And they, they publish ads, packages, cigarettes, looking like a tombstone. But why? Because research shows the more people who smoke, the more cancer, the more heart trouble. The more cancer, the more heart trouble, the more money has to be spent for hospitals, for medicine, for radiation, for, for chemotherapy, for operations, triage. If we spend so much money, where do we get money to treat corona? And, and the God have mercy on us if this new variant is as bad as they say. We're in for a real uh, terrible shock and a fourth wave. And psychologically it's very bad because everyone thought we were out of it. We were improving. We were doing better. And it turns around, we're not. And all this comes to the fore. But can we stop the sale of cigarettes entirely? I don't know. If I had my way... I would limit it to people over 30. Right now it's people over 18. But this is the dilemma, this is the problem, and, and this is what, why Reb Menashe Klein is not going to be black and white and say it's totally usa. And he refers to you again, he refers to you again to the Rambam that we quoted last week, we quoted again today, certain things are very bad, but he never said it's forbidden to eat them. He only said that it's better to cut down, to limit, but not to totally say it is forbidden. And... He quotes here a Chuvat Harashba. I mean, it's amazing how they're touching upon questions in medical research. There are things in life, and the Rashba already alludes to this. You can see the source here. It's good for one person, bad for another person. And uh, why do some people... I, I have a very good friend. He should live with me well. He's, not, he's older than I am. He's an early graduate of Albert Einstein Medical School. He was a very prominent doctor in Philadelphia. Dr. Miles Turtz, T-U-R-T-Z. His wife is the great-granddaughter of the Ridbaz. She's Rabbi Konowitz's of Newark's granddaughter, and she, he was a son-in-law of the Ridbaz. And if you recognize the names, I'm talking real Torah history. And he was a, headed up a number of hospitals in Philadelphia. And one time when they were first coming out, that fat is no good uh, for the heart and the schmaltz and uh, liver, various foods. He went on a binge and for three months or so, he only ate bad foods. And at the end of the three months, he did all the tests and he was better than ever. So you see, you can't, you can't judge. 
And, and the other hand, another person would eat like that. Before you know it, he needs open heart surgery. He's clogged up the veins, the vessels. And, and this too, uh, Reb Menashe Klein says, you can't have a universal psak here. What's good for some people may be hard for other people. And, and here he quotes his own father, in his, one of the firm his father wrote, and, and others he says, onions are bad for the heart. Onions. And, uh, we, and, and his father wrote, he, he quotes that, we shouldn't allow anyone to eat onions. Nowadays, you know that onions uh, can be very helpful in any diet and any nutritional uh, balanced eating. Onions is part of it. Again, you can make a whole case like uh, radishes. When you cut the, if you're studying your idea, so if you cut a radish with a knife, uh, does it a milk eggs, What does the radish become? Is it sharp? It's a whole machlek. We once spoke about this. The Arachashul. The whole machlek is you can find sources. The Makabarach. So they say the radishes are different in various countries. There are some countries where the radishes are very sharp, and some countries where the radishes are very mild. And this is what Rabbi Menashe Klein is saying. You can't come out with a universal feeling to say that smoking is totally forbidden. What's interesting is the way he ends off the tshuva. He says, I've now discussed it in a few tshuvat, and he says, yes, I understand that it's doubtful whether you should smoke. It could be there's a sakana, but I cannot outlaw smoking. Ain't koach biyodenu. And this jack is for you, ubifrat shegedole hada hikrivu alecha ketoret. He's playing with rabbinic Hebrew. What does ketoret mean? Smoking, a good smell. Uh, it, it's that whole aroma that you get. Hikrivu alecha ketoret, like the Beis Hamigdash, the Kohen, oh, the ketoret. Anyone who was makrif ketoret became wealthy. The Kohenim used to fight. They had an outlaw running to do it. They had to do a lottery. And if you once were makrif ketoret, that was it. You, you're wealthy already. That's enough. And this is the way he paskins in relation to smoking. And we can all understand him. He saw his own rebellion smoking. How can he be osef? How can he asaf? And uh, you have to give credit, this man knew the modern world. Uh, Rabbi Menashe Klein, I don't know how much, he certainly had concepts of math and science and mastery of English, and you have to give credit. It would be interesting if one day one of his sons would walk into class and we could interview him the way we did on this past Monday with Rabbi Aye Katzen. Now... As well known as Rabbi Menashe Klein is, no one is more well known as a posik in America than Rabbi Meisha Feinstein. And here you come to one of Rabbi Meisha's most widely quoted psakim, Lakanu Lakan. There's some that praise him and some that criticize. I'm quoting from Igrat Moshe, Yoridea. It's uh, 
the volume published in Yeridea Chelik Sheni. It's in the volume published in Tashlag in 1973. Yeridea, the second time Rav Moshe deals with it, Siman Mem Tet. And the Tshuva is very brief, very to the point, like Rav Moshe takes the attitude, what kind of question? And uh, I know who he wrote it to. It's written in 1964, Aaron Kirschenbaum. Kirschenbaum. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Aaron Kirschenbaum. Zeichet Sadekel Varcha, I want to say about him. Rabbi Aaron Kirschenbaum was a uh, student in JTS. And... Uh, in JTS, he was one of the brightest students there, and he was exposed, I don't have to tell you, to Repshaw Lieberman. And uh, he started to question uh, what they were teaching him there, and he saw more Torah sources, and he came to the Rav ship. And this reveals the Rav's personality. At one time, this is my time already, there were too many people coming into the shir, too many outsiders. So the Rav got upset and he started asking each one who you are. And, he, and some of them he indicated, what are you coming here for? You know, it's a regular class, it's limited. And he got to Aaron Kershaw and Kershaw tells him he's a, uh, on the faculty of JTS. And the Rav said, all right, you'll continue to come. We'll get to know each other. And Kirshenbaum wrote a memoir. I have the memoir actually in that closet that I'm pointing to. And he tells the story. And I, I, if I recall, it's not just I heard it from him. I was an ear witness to the story, an eyewitness as well. Uh, Kirshenbaum went on to come in Aliyah and uh, became professor of uh, Jewish law, Mishpat Devri, on a contemporary sense in Tel Aviv University and he was one of the leaders in that field in the state of Israel and his family is very fascinating it divides in half his sons are all in the greater Panovich world and his daughters are all in the Tzionid Dati world and it just happened as a result of where they originally lived uh, if I have the story correctly it was they were not happy with the Mamlachti Dati school they sent them to a to a more uh, uh, and the boys became part of that world. The girls later went to Chorev where they had moved, they came to whatever. They had already much more choice and the girls seemed like a very fascinating, beautiful family. And I recall Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Professor Aaron Kirschenblum, the, uh, I would say, the Chilu Rechimu. Okay, if that's the Rabbaran Kirshenbaum that they're uh, dealing with here. Now, the question he writes, uh, he writes seven, eight lines is the whole thing. He writes, uh, yes, I understand your question is smoking cigarettes, but uh, to say it's forbidden uh, something that so many people smoke and put in parentheses, he means so many good Jews smoke, so many Rabbanim smoke. He says, and he quotes the Gemara and Shabbos that I will quote to you in a minute. And he says, Gedolei Torah, may Dorotshavru, 
Vubidoreinu in previous generations and our generation, he says, we see so many giants of Torah smoking. And he says, I can't usher it. And there's certainly no lifneiver if you give someone a cigarette and you give someone a match. And that's what Rav Moshe quotes. And I'll give you the Gemara in a second. And this is Rav Moshe's Shiva. Now, what's the Gemara he quotes? Shabbat Kuf Tet Amid Bet. That's the Gemara. And uh, it's dealing a very fascinating Gemara. You would need someone who knows medical science at that time and knows <coughs> astronomy to explain <coughs> it. That Oma uh, Shmuel, uh, the Gemara quotes in the name of Shmuel, that it's very healthy to undergo the procedure of bloodletting every 30 days. But if someone undergoes this procedure, then there are limited days that he should do it on. And the Gemara says you do, it, you do the blood procedure on Sunday, on Wednesday, on Erev Shabbat, on Monday and Thursday, you don't do the blood procedure. And why? Why? And he quotes here the only someone who's at Sadik Olam and he has schut that God will not harm him, otherwise never do it at that time. And why? And they say, because the, uh, I'll quote the translation to you, why is it dangerous to let blood on Monday or Thursday? Because the heavenly court and the lower one are in session at the same time. Monday and Thursday, the Beitin Shalmala, the Beitin Shalmata, they sit in session. Everyone knows from the Sugis and Megillah that Monday and Thursday the Batadinim would sit. This is when people went, and if the Batadinim Shalmata are in session, then the Batadinim of Malaya are in session. And if that's the case, you're in danger. Who here can stand before the Beitin Shalmala and say, I am innocent, I am wonderful, I have never sinned, I don't deserve any punishment, I don't deserve any challenge. Keep away from doing something slightly dangerous like bloodletting on Monday and Thursday. Aye, but then then they ask, according to Shmuel, you only let blood on Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, why not on Tuesday? And because on Tuesday, it's the third day of the week, and on Tuesday, the influence of Mars prevails upon the pairs, the even hours of the day. 
And here you need astronomy. Dr. Gewirtz from Highland Park could explain this to us, but I'll just explain it on a simple level. It simply means that at this time when the pairs match up, it is dangerous. And you're letting blood, you're putting yourself into Sakana. And this is why we don't do it on Tuesday. So the Gemara says, wait a minute, the same thing happens on Friday. The pairs even up. Mars is powerful. Red, blood, why are you doing it on Friday? And the Gemara gives an answer. Shomer Petayim Hashem. Hashem protects the heedless, the foolish people. Yes, you shouldn't do it on Friday, but the Gemara says clearly, everyone does it on Friday. People are doing it on Friday. And there's so much on the concept, Shomer Petayim Hashem. And this is the Gemara that Reb Moshe quotes. Well, Shomer Petayim Hashem, how far do you take it? How far do you carry it? I mean, Rebani Shalom, Shomer Petayim Hashem, a person will walk across streets and say, I'm not going to look at the red lights. Who cares about the red lights? Shomer Petayim Hashem, God is going to watch after me. A person will take endless medicine. You know people like that. They live on medicine. And you say to them, sleeping pills and this pill and that pill, you're, 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 you're destroying your body. Hashem. How far can you say this principle? Sometimes, uh, Zach, I can understand. You fly? How come you fly? Planes crash? Know what I'm talking about? No, do you know the rub's response to David Hartman? Planes crash, but we still fly. You know what I'm talking about? Wow. You haven't spent 49 years listening to the Shayer. Do you know who David Hartman was? No. Oh, we'll leave it for another time. The less you know in that area, the happier you'll be, Elliot. Am I right or wrong? Okay. So uh, plain, So you say to me, Rebbe, I'm not going to argue with you. You make sense. Elliot, you drove here this morning? No, uh, you're smart. Pla- cars driving in Israel, cars crash. People jump out in front of you. you got to drive here with your foot on one foot, the gas, the brake. Know what you're doing. So Elliot says, I drive. I'll accept it. Mark, do you smoke? Imagine what we know today about smoking. This was your question last week. Rev. Moshe wrote this trivia one in the 60s, 70s. What we know today about smoking. So I have to tell you, we just had the first site of Rev. David Feinstein. Reb Meishan had two daughters and two sons. All his children, wonderful, wonderful children. 
And uh, you've got to appreciate what I'm saying because Rabbi Moshe came to America in 37. Where were these kids raised? Under the communists, the older ones at least. Uh, I think the youngest, I think Rabbi Reuben was born in America already. And uh, you come to America, greenhorns, and each child turned out a gem. You have to give credit. So Rabbi David was very special. Uh, such a such an able person, let alone a Lamdan Mufak. So he, Paskand Lahalacha, that if his father were alive today and knew what we knew, his father would absolutely assa smoking cigarettes. And here you have it. I'm quoting from the Yeshiva World News. October 25th, 2021. It's a whole evaluation of Rav David on his yard site. I'm quoting here from what's marked page two, the sixth paragraph down, seventh. A few years ago, Rav David issued a psak that Rav Moshe's ruling on smoking not being technically forbidden was only valid based upon the limited scientific knowledge available at that time. However, he explained that he would certainly rule that in modern times it would be absolutely forbidden to smoke. This psaac was promulgated by Rabarach Moskowitz, author of Tusfarim, the Dibatabam, that discusses in death sugyas upon which Rabdavid ruled upon. So here you have a black and white source, Rabdavid Feinstein, who certainly, from Rabmaish's children, is the biggest posake in the family. I can add to this a postscript that uh, years ago it maybe in the 1990s, uh, Rabbi Moshe Davitendla spoke at the OU. This is when the OU started expanding and uh, they were reaching out to people and uh, bringing in personalities visiting from America. And one of the questions Rabbi Moshe David got was this very question. And he said exactly what is quoted in the name of Rabbi David Feinstein. He said, if my father-in-law knew what we knew today, know today, he would absolutely say that smoking is forbidden. And this will take us back to our question, what about the Gedoli Yisrael that Rabbi Moshe says smoke, that Rabbi Menashe Klein says smoke, that Aaron Rakefit says Eidut Nema, that Rabbi Menachem Mendel Zak smoked? And the answer is very simple. They did not know. Science did not know what we have today. Today we have much more knowledge, research, results, and smoking absolutely forbidden. So this is this is what you asked last week, and this is Reb Meishan, Reb David Feinstein, 
Rabbi Moshe David Tamla. It could even be that someone wrote up what Rabbi Moshe David Tamla said. Maybe you can find it in the Jerusalem Post. I, I recall that I did see it in print after he spoke, and everyone quoted the fact that he said Rabbi Moshe would never have been Matya smoking today. Let me go one step further. I have a dear student in America, Dr. Alan Blau, and uh, he heard the lecture that I started speaking about uh, smoking, so he sent me some sources, I checked them out. <laughs> you see something very fascinating here. And here you come to another personality that I not only knew who he was in detail, I actually taught his daughter. His daughter was a fabulous student of mine in the early years when I was teaching. May have even been in my first or second year teaching Israelis in Michalats uh, more than 50 years ago, or 50 years ago exactly. And Rab David Halevi, Rab Chaim David Halevi, was the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, the Sephardic chief rabbi. What was fascinating about Reb Chaim David Halevi, he was totally integrated on the general Israeli scene. It's not like, for instance, uh, Rab David uh, Yosef, who uh, really can make statements uh, that are unnecessary because he simply never was part of the hustle and bustle of the total Israeli picture. Uh, Rabbi David Halevi, Rabbi David Halevi was right there and he was a very prolific author and uh, he used to answer questions uh, on the radio as I recall. Came out with many svarim, asselecharav, questions that the Rab was asked. I don't know if we have them in the base medrash downstairs, be interesting to see, but endless volumes. I'm quoting from Asaylech HaRav, Chelik Bet, Siman Aleph. And uh, he's dealing with this very question of smoking. And he says, I'm so troubled by the people who smoke that I am going to discuss this as the first topic in my Sefer. And he says that uh, I came out uh, uh, that, uh, totally against smoking and uh, yes, I know that there's one important love who does permit smoking and this is why I'm going out and publicizing and making it my first shiva that smoking is totally forbidden. Now I want you to know people took for granted when he said one important love is not the smoking he meant that Moshe Feinstein. You'll see later that someone writes to me, no, I didn't hear about Shepanstein, he meant someone else, but he doesn't tell you who he meant. And and he goes on and on that Rakshmolacha, Shmonapshecha, Devarim Dalit, Pasik Tet, 
ונשמעתם מאוד הנפשותיכם, דברם ד' פסק ט"ו, יצחק, that answers your questions. And, and he says, בגמרם ברוכה דף ל"ב עמ"ב, זהירות שמירה על החיים. And then he goes and he quotes the Rambam, and he says when it comes to smoking, it's not only in Hilchot Deot, but he quotes the Rambam Hilchot Rotseach, Perik Yud Aleph, Perik Yud Bet, and the Rambam there gives a whole list of things, of actions that we shouldn't do that can kill you, and eating a behema or a chaya or an oaf that was bitten by a snake, that the snake put his venomous poison into this animal. And the Rambam says this is sakonet nefashat. And, and the, he talks about drinking water from a pipe that was open to the rain and open and who knows what crawls into the water and you drink it at night when you can't see if the water is clean. And, and he goes on and on of these examples and Allah Kama smoking is just as dangerous as any of the examples that the Rambam gave in Hilchot Rotseach, Perik Yud Aleph, Perik Yud Bet. And he says, don't answer me that the Rambam in Hilchot Deot, unless perhaps in Hilchot Rotseach, is only giving advice, you know, that it's a Musa Sefer, it's an ethical, moral Sefer, what to do, if the Rambam puts it into the Mishnah Torah, this is halacha lemaisa. Kachu hadin beyachas lepsakem hanovat misakonet riyut. That this is halacha lemaisa. Anything that can harm you, you must keep away from. And this is not just advice, this is halacha psuka. And he says, please, there he's dealing with what we just spoke about. Don't tell me that people smoked at the time of the Gemara, at the time of the Rishonim, and in earlier times of the Achronim, if they would have known what we know today, they would absolutely and, and he says, therefore, and any person who wants to remain healthy, wants la avodet elokav to serve God, b'chol melokal chatav lehimana meishon, black and white, no question about it. Chelik tet.
Chelik let me get a little water on the vocal cords. Chelik Tet, Subdivision, Chavchet, Chavtet, Baruch HaTod, and Melech Olam, Shekol, Yevit, Verol. And he's answering, oh, you asked me who I mean is the Rav who permitted, and you think it's Reb Moshe Feinstein? He says, no, I don't refer to Reb Moshe Feinstein's itself. I'm referring to another Rav, Yibado L'chaim Aruchim, who immediately after I published in the earlier volume of Aseilach Rav to forbid smoking, he came out and attacked me and said, you're allowed to smoke, and again came back to the whole concept that uh, Hashem saves simple people, Shomeya Patayim Hashem, and uh, he says uh, uh, that the proofs that you try to bring, life has changed. In other words, so this person corresponding with him tried to bring the example of a katlanit. What's a katlanit? If a woman was married twice and both husbands died, you're not, she's not allowed to marry a third time. That there's something about this woman that kills her husband. So if you watch Hollywood movies, uh, you know, you can see it time and again. Not the, it's not the movies of today, it's the movies of the 30s and the 40s when they couldn't be as wild, uh, killing each other and sexually going crazy in, in public. So they would have plots uh, where you marry and there's a problem and a remarry, etc., etc. Yet we see Dashubo Rabin when it comes to marrying a third time. They, we go out of our way, lahatir. And it's the, I mean, I'm talking about It's not the, it is not the Chovevei Torah, not the Reform Judaism, Chas uh, v'Chalila. And perhaps I shouldn't put Chovevei Torah with Reform Judaism. Maybe they're doing better today. But we has to stay within the halachic context. But what I mean with matir, so we, I'll give you a simple example. A question comes up, uh, Rebbe, I'm going out with this lady. It's going to be her third marriage. So the first question we ask, why did the, how did the first husband die? You find out he died of a heart attack. Then the second husband, you find out, died of cancer. So you say right away, this was not her fault. It was Menishamayim that these husbands had short lives, and you can be matir her marrying a third time. Uh, he says, don't bring me, and they bring down Doshu Barabban, that the... Hashem. The same language of the Gemara in Shabbat, the same language he wants to apply to the Katlanit. He says, what you're doing is not, he says, it's not correct. What you're quoting are cases where, yes, we try Lahakel because we can reach a conclusion that she was not at fault. But here it's medical research and take a look what the medical research shows. It shows that this smoking is absolutely harmful. Imagine, I'm just adding this, he doesn't say this, imagine if you can prove 
that this woman is highly tempered and at age and she's always finding fault. And uh, by the way, I see so much written in the Alonim that they give out free dealing with marital problems and, and how to deal. And, and I, I have tapes I listen to in the car, recordings of the Spadic preachers and everyone, the wife yelled at him, the wife this, he was in replenish alone. So if you can prove that she is so high-tempered that the first husband dropped dead because he couldn't handle it. The second husband dropped dead because he couldn't handle it. Believe me, then it would be a very big shyla if you should marry her the third for the third husband. I would say, if you're an idiot, go ahead and marry her. But if you have any seichel, all right? Or, or you have to go psychological help. Don't be high-tempered, don't stand. And I see all this advice in in, in, in in, in all the alonim, if you come home and your wife had a hard day, bring her a gift, say you appreciate her, thank her for what she made for supper, uh, don't get upset because she yelled a little, you were in business, you were in a different world, you were the boss, and suddenly you come home and she says, sprout the garbage, uh, paraphrasing uh, Jackie Mason. Okay, but he says, this is research, how do you... You negate it. How do you neglect it? And and he he stands very strongly that you're not allowed to smoke 100%. Rabbi David Feinstein would agree. Rabbi Dr. Tendler, Moshe David Tendler would agree. And this was said already in the 70s. He was very strong already at that point. Then he deals in Chelek Vav. It's amazing how much this question comes up. In Chelek Vav, Siman Nun Chet, he deals with the question of giving your father a package of cigarettes, lighting the cigarette, is it Lifnei Eva? And uh, he, he is very strong here that uh, even though it could be it's only it's not a lift naiva. your father can get the cigarettes on his own but even is a rabbinic prohibition and if that's the case you should not do it and he quotes Harav Beit Lechem Yehuda and he gives the source he says a case came up that the father was very ill and the doctors told him he can't drink water and can't eat a, a certain type of food uh, for a certain amount of hours. And his father asked him for this food and his father yelled at him, if you will, listen to this, if you won't give me this food, won't give me water, ani lomo and yet he paskin, don't give your father the food or the water, even though your father maledicted him so, you're not allowed to do it. And he says, you should explain to your father, Abba, katuv b'torah, ushmatem l'nafshotechem ma'od, v'ha'ishun magzik ma'od. So you see, Rabbi David Halevi, 100% against smoking. Now, 
Halacha Lamaisa. I have one more source, but I'll save it for next week because it's uh, too fascinating to rush to rush uh, rush down. I have one more source, but Halacha Lamaisa. What do we do? And here you have uh, a real problem. You see people smoking from people, and if you want to say anything to them, sometimes they'll spit in your face, sometimes they'll maledict you, sometimes they'll curse you. Chances are you will accomplish nothing. On the other hand, when you run an institution, when BMT was established, as I recall, from the very start, smoking was not allowed in Beit Medish Torah. We didn't begin in this building. In your time, Elliot, was, I don't, I, as I recall, Rabbi Hurwitz put down at the very start, no smoking. And that would be the way to handle it. I know in certain schools, uh, you know, between classes, it may be in a university, it may be harder. Because in a university, there's a democracy, students' rights, and all that goes with it. But in a yeshiva, at least the yeshivas that I went to, or the way I understood a yeshiva should be, the rabbeim set the rules, set the klalim. It's similar to the food you bring in. Uh, do you require a bedats? Which heksha do you keep? Uh, you know the story, if I, if I quoted Rav Gusman an hour and a half ago, let me end off the shir by telling you a story about him. Rav Gu- it's a famous story, I heard it long before I saw it published. Rav Gusman comes to Rechavia, and he takes over that building on the corner of Ibn Ezra and Ramban. They say the people who owned the building in the 20s, 30s, were to- Rechavia was built totally anti-religious, to get away from uh, the Geula area, the Meisharim area, Rechavi was built for the Yekis that were coming and, and the professors from Hebrew U, most of them totally anti-religious. They say the people who owned that building would turn over in their graves if they saw what Rav Gusman turned it into. But Baruch Hashem, Ara, the, the, the land of Israel somehow creates miracles. So when he opened up, he had a caterer who brought the food in. There was a little hotel right near, which BMT lady used on Ibn Ezra. Uh, and, and whoever catered there brought the food for Rabbi Gusman's yeshiva. So the Eid Haredit people the ga- sent over gangsters, and they told Rabbi Gusman, we're not happy, this is not a bedatz heksha, and uh, if you don't want your name smeared over the uh, Meisharim walls that you're know, not Makpid, you better turn to the Badats and get a Heksha. And Rav Gusman, who no one could push around after what he went through, and he said to them, what are you telling me? That if I take your Heksha, you're going to give me covered? He says, you can't give me covered. When I walked in to see Rav Chaim Oisa, I was 23 years old, Rab Chaim stood up for me and everyone else stood up for me in the basin. Covered like that? You can't come anywhere near that. You're going to blacken my name? After I went through with the Nazis and I had a kill, he killed a Nazi with my own two hands. And my son was killed in front of my eyes. You're going to blacken my name? 
There's no way you can blacken my name like it's been blackened in the past. Get the heck out of here. And he kicked them out head first. And they retained the caterer next door. And the Eidechare did or these gangsters couldn't do a thing. And that's a famous story and it's published now in his biography. So uh, the, what can you accomplish? What can you do? You have to have seichel and uh, take it within that framework. Uh, that it's forbidden, I'm convinced. Can we convince others who saw their rebane smoking? It's a hard call. Anyone intelligent, however, who knows there's more to life than just Shas and Paiskim and there's ongoing medical research, and he knows how to approach medical research, you can have an impact. And uh, you all know the story I told you last week that Yaakov uh, Kamenetsky was later told that smoking is harmful. He totally stopped, like overnight, cold turkey, overnight. Okay, so to reiterate, what did we do today? Okay, we, we finished out smoking. It's a very fascinating topic because of the reality in the world today and cigarettes, Rebmeshus Chiva, which is so well known, and take a look the way uh, his own son and son-in-law would tell you to Paskin today. Rabbi David Halevi, who apologizes, says, I didn't mean Rabbi I meant someone else, but he doesn't tell you the name. And uh, I've heard rumors, but I, I, I asked around, but uh, I don't want to mention the name because it's only hearsay. You're only guessing. Uh, Rabbi Menashe Klein and the tremendous problem. You saw your own Rabbeim, your own Sadiq Eyalion smoking. All right, we have one more source to go on this. And then, can you go on a diet? I'm not sure too many other postkim would have accepted a question like that. But he deals with it, and deals with it seriously, and understands diets. You can see that he's a man of the 20th century. Okay, I want to thank, are there any, there are no questions in front of me, I want to thank all my dear students who showed up and honored me, and I, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And it's not easy, because the radio this morning scared me, scared everyone. I asked in shoe, five to 5.30 minion, already everyone there had heard the 5 o'clock news, so they all said to me, they think it begins uh, tomorrow night, meaning Sunday night, so now I have a big shy light, I don't know if it means when you leave America, when you will arrive here, it's a good hakira. Okay, until we meet again in health and happiness, das vidanya. Okay, mute, unmute. Okay. Wait, wait. Wait, wait, I can't hear. Thank you. Well, we can't hear. Too many people are speaking. One person at a time. I heard a thank you. I thank you for thanking me. Yeah. Anyone else want to come in? Okay. In, in okay. The yeah. Sayer of Avraham Tversky also came out very much against it. Okay. Baruch Hashem. I can understand. Psychologist. Okay. In, I, I just want to end off because I have to catch Sherry. 
But until we meet again in health and happiness tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I wouldn't miss the shear tomorrow morning for all that is being ordered for Pfizer at this moment for more chisunim and more chisunim all over the world. We will go in to, we'll finish up a brief survey of the Satma's life and then we go back and start all over and we become kids again trying to view the Satma Ruv as a little boy. Until we meet again in health and happiness, Das Mark, thank you very, very much.